Joshua chapter 7. You know, many times when we, we go through a passage of Scripture, like we're going to tonight in Joshua 7, where it's kind of a, a, a downer, it's a defeated moment, it's a time where sin controls the circumstances and has its influence in the life, not only of the man Achan, but of the nation Israel, we can tend to just see this and become very depressed in what it represents. But underneath the exposing of sin that takes place with Achan is the relationship of God who exposes the sin. And having a God who chastens us, as the book of Hebrews says, is better than having a God who is silent. And it's important that we recognize that God is at work even in the chastening, even in the exposing of the areas here in Aiken's life or maybe in our own lives that we are not really wanting to be exposed, not really wanting to deal with. The fact that God wants to deal with them is a good thing. It's a really good thing. And so as we enter into this, let's keep that in mind. Verse 1, it says, But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, and the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. It starts off in verse 1, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully. Now, anytime you know, we have this word, but it's referring to something else, and this is actually referring to chapter 6 and verses 18 to 19, the Lord told the Israelites to keep away from the devoted things as they went and took Jericho. The devoted things were the valuable things that were supposed to go into the treasury of the Lord. As they conquered the city, they weren't to, to take and gain the spoil that was there, but they were to dedicate it to begin this nation and establish the nation. And so that was God's instruction to Joshua, and it was Joshua's instruction to the people, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully. And one of the curious things here is the Israelites acted unfaithfully, it says, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel, but we're going to see it was the act of one man. And you see, this one man was a part of this collective group, the nation. And being a part of that, he caused an effect, the whole. We talked about that a lot Sunday. We talked about how our actions affect those around us, whether we like it or not. They affect our family, the immediate people around us. They f affect our community, the church that we're involved with, and they infect the world. Our acts have uh, repercussions to the things that we do. And we need to recognize those things because they can affect people for the bad or for the good. There are people who have tremendous things that they could give to the body the, of Christ, but for whatever reason, they neglect those areas. And who suffers? The whole body suffers. And so we recognize that this one man had an effect on the whole nation, on all that was taking place. Now, 
as we're going into this part, I'm reminded of Moses's saying as he talked to the nations who were going to cross over the Jordan and fight with them and then go back to the land on the other side of Jordan. And Moses said to them, you know, you need to do this because if you don't, your sin will find you out. And that takes place in Numbers 32, 23. That's an easy one to remember because 32 and 23, I don't know what you call it, but they're, they're like a mirror, you know, 3, 2, 2, 3. Your sin will find you out. So if you want to know where that is, it's Numbers 32, 23. And isn't that the truth? Has anyone experienced their sin finding them out? And that's not all of them, I bet. I bet that's just some of them. But they will come to surface. They do. Because anything that is a part of our life will be seen in some way in our lives. And here we see that's the case with Achan. Starting in verse 2, we'll continue reading through verse 9. It says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone's quarry and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on his face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? I want to look at, at what takes place here and how it can apply to our own lives because sin captures this nation and it captures Achan just like it captures us. Joshua is a book that represents a victorious Christian life. And, and this is the only place where we see the children of Israel are defeated. And you see, it, it's God's desire that we not live defeated lives. It's God's desire that our lives are unbroken victory over sin and disobedience. But the truth is that isn't the case. Why? What happens that causes these things to happen? Well, there's a breakdown that takes place with Achan, and it's a breakdown that takes place with us. The Spirit of God has a work within our lives, and it's kind of threefold. And we either yield to that work or we resist it. It talks about resisting the Spirit. In Acts 7.51, it says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised 
hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And the first area that can take place is we can resist the work of God to salvation in our lives. We, we can stop it from happening. We don't want it to happen. And so we turn our backs on God. We resist him. But then even as believers, even as we come to position in faith of Christ, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The idea of grieving the Holy Spirit is, is just that, making sad. And, and this is a thought that always overwhelms me. The thought that what I do can grieve the heart of God. I've never been able to fully appreciate this until I became a father. And have been grieved by my children. And the things that they've done. And what happens is my grief isn't just for the action. My grief is for my children. And the things that they're doing and how their lives have been captured. Maybe by a circumstance. My own fault. That's terrible. Wow, that's weird. It's my brother, Tony. Um talking about Vizcaino. So it's a sign from God, everyone. <laughs> anyway, back to grieving the spirit <laughs> and having your cell phone on. Uh, in Ephesians 4.29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, be, it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't make the heart of God sad by the things that you do. And you see, that is something that we do, that we yield and surrender ourselves to many times, and we don't recognize what we are doing to God when we are disobedient. To him. The third thing we can do to the Holy Spirit is we can quench the Holy Spirit. Or as 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22 says, it says, don't put out the fire, the Spirit's fire. I like that. Don't put out the Spirit's fire or quench the Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. And the idea is when God is at work, don't throw water on that work. Don't ignore it or make little of it, but pay attention to it. Allow it to be as important as it is. And you see, as God spoke to Achan through Joshua and told him, this is what you need to do. Achan resisted, he grieved, and he quenched the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens with us in sin. And it defeats us. And you see, God's desire is for us to have a victorious life, and he's able to give us a victorious life. He tells us in Jude one twenty four to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. You see, God is able to present us. And so, what is keeping that from happening? Well, we are resisting, we are grieving, or we are quenching the Spirit of God. One of those things. And not allowing His work to take place in our lives. If we are going to claim the victory that the Lord has for us, then we have to press in to this land 
where the battles take place. And that's where temptation takes place. That's where the testings take place. You see, to live a victorious Christian life is to conquer the ground that is out there. And to do that, we have to step into danger, into the enemy's territory where attacks are vulnerable or we're vulnerable to the attacks. That's the only way it's going to happen. Alan Redpath wrote in his book, Victorious Christian Living, the child of God who is determined to live his life in the center of the will of God ceases to live, as it were, in the shelter of the valley. If you're going to live in the center of God's will, it's going to push you into the battleground. It's going to take you out of the safety of the valley. It's going to push you into the place where the testing is going to come. But we're to count it all joy when we fall into these testings because it's producing something within us, James tells us. Perseverance. Patience. And allowing that to have its perfect work in our life is going to produce something enduring in our lives. And so again... I know, based on things I actually know and based on just what I know generally of the world around us, that a lot of us are going through difficult times, struggles with family, with finances, with emotions, with problems, with, with habits that we, we need to get out of, unhealthy choices maybe that we're making and we have these struggles in our lives, I know this, that if we will press on, not shrink back, not resist the Spirit's work, not quench or grieve Him, but follow in obedience, that He will bring victory to our lives. And that's what we need. And so... As God exposes things in our hearts and in our lives that need cleaning out, and we all have closets that need cleaning out, or maybe it's a garage, you know, it's not just a closet, it's the whole garage. I mention my garage a lot, don't I? We have those things that just need to be cleared out. Don't shrink back. Allow it to take place. Allow the work of God to clean our hearts from those things that would stop us from taking that land. And recognize this. If you want a victorious life, it's going to put you in the heat of battle. That's what the Christian life is. You don't put a light under a bushel, under a canister. A city is on a hill. It can't be hid. We are the light of the world. That means we are seen. That means we are exposed. That means we have to be an example. And God is wanting us to be that example. Now, why were they defeated at Ai? There, there are three things that happen, I believe, that we can learn from that were a part of their being defeated. And, and the first thing, in verse 3, we see that when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and don't weary all the people. Only a few men are there. They were self-confident. Not everyone has to go. It's, it'll be easy. It's not a big place. Just send two or 3,000 people. Don't worry all the people. You know, we just took 
you know, Jericho, that was a huge place. This is a lot smaller. We can take it. And there was this self-confidence that, that seemed to be there, a part of them. As they returned, they didn't feel that it was necessary. There, there never comes a time in our lives where we are not dependent on God for our victory. There never comes a time in our life where we are strong enough to handle it. Don't worry about it, God. I've got it from here. There's never a place where I can say that. doesn't matter how long you have been a follower of Christ. You are never, ever going to come to a place where you are not in need of his strength. That's why he said, abide in me and I in you. As a branch abides in the vine, and then it bears much fruit. For apart from me, what did he say? You can do nothing. But you can do all things in him as he strengthens you. And so there is always the necessity to be connected to God. Victories won yesterday will not bring you power today. And a lot of times we think that. I, I'm, I'm walking good with God. I'm victorious. I, I overcame this temptation or I, I did this devotional and I'm doing fine. Well, that was great, but it's not going to help you today. God only gives enough manna for the day. Every day they had to go up and depend on the Lord. The same is true with us. I need to depend on him daily. I need to go out there. It is dependence and abiding that brings the victory. And we need to constantly be in that place of reliance on him. So they were self-confident. The second thing we see is they neglected to pray. They didn't go back to Gilgal, but they sent men straight from Jericho over to Ai. They went right ahead of them. There's a, a cool scripture in Joshua 9.14. It says the men of Israel, when the Hivites were deceiving them, it says the men of Israel sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. And so they were deceived. They did not inquire of the Lord. You know what happens when we don't inquire of the Lord? We make bad decisions. Remember what happened before Jericho. Joshua fell on his face. He asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? We don't see that here. We don't see him going back to Gilgal. We don't see them waiting. We don't see him asking the priests for direction or prayer. As Moses prayed that Joshua would. And all we see is, hey, go check it out. They came back. Okay, you know, we're on a roll here, guys. We can move on. Let's just go and take it. They didn't stop. They didn't pray. And failure to pray always makes us insensitive to sin. You see, if they would have stopped to pray, there could have been the awareness of what was wrong in the camp. But the failure to pray always makes us insensitive to sin. Prayer is connection, communication, and communion with God. And when you stop that, the victory is going to fall short. Now, I know, ladies, if you, if you weren't here, and this is something I wanted to mention too, if, if you didn't go to the study on Tuesday, it, it was powerful as she spoke about prayer. I think, was this one the one on prayer? It was, huh? And, and so if you missed it, Friday night, we're going to be showing it again because I know of the rain, a lot of ladies didn't go out 
because they didn't want to drive in the rain. So we're going to show it again Friday night here at 7 o'clock. If you want to uh, come and check it out, even if you're not a part of the study, I invite you to be here at 7 o'clock. And it's powerful to see that prayer is a necessity to victory. And they didn't pray. So they were self-confident. They didn't pray. And third, we see that they were disobedient. You know, disobedience is obvious. It says in verse 11, Israel has sinned, the Lord said. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25, it says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You see, if one person sins, it affects everybody as it did with the children of Israel, so it does with us. And to think that it doesn't matter what we do is to be so narrow-minded and sighted. To think that I can go ahead and act this way and do this, it's in the secret, no one will see it. That's exactly what Achan thought. But disobedience will always have a cost to it. It will always have a cost, not only to you, but to those around you and to the community you are involved with and to your involvement in the work of God. And so these three things are what led them to the defeat. And there are three things that will lead us to our own defeated lives. We'll find ourselves confident in ourselves, not relying in the Lord. We'll find that we are not praying, believing and trusting, communing with God, communicating with God. And we'll find ourselves being disobedient and thinking it doesn't matter. And then when we find ourselves defeated, God, why am I here? Why am I living this life of just utter defeat? I'm just trapped in this depression and I can't get out of it. Look and see if these things aren't a part of what's gotten you there. That you've relied on yourself and not on God. You haven't been praying, communicating with the Lord and you haven't been obedient and you know where you're not obedient. You see, all I have to do is look at the word disobedient or obedience and in my mind I think of these areas, you know what, I need to do this more. I need to have this time of devotion. God has been putting a few things on my heart that he wants me to do and, and he's even told me when he wants me to do them. Monday you need to set aside and do these things and, and I haven't been doing it. Something comes up. I've got to do this. I had a lesson Monday. I had to go do my lesson. And so I was disobedient in doing the things that God had wanted me to do. Part of me doesn't want to tell you because then I'll have to be accountable <laughs> to do it. But God has been putting on my heart, I need to write some people. And I need to do it on Monday because God told me you need to do it on Monday. You know, and I could say, why not Tuesday, God? Why not Monday, Sam? Being obedient. When God puts it on your heart, do it. If you read the scriptures and you know this is what we're supposed to do, do it. And there comes that opportunity to make the choice. Just as we're going to see Achan made. And when we make that choice, it will affect us. Remember, though, that what you do is, it will affect others. 
it will affect others. No child of God can grow cold in his spiritual life without lowering the temperature of everybody else around them. If you're not on fire for God, you're bringing the temperature down of everyone around you. Heavy. Heavy to think about that. And you see, we enjoy our freedom, but then when our freedom affects other people, then we recognize how important that is, how important what we do is. In verse 10, continuing, then the Lord said to Joshua, okay, Joshua is on his face and he's saying, God, why us? You're going to wipe us out. What's going to happen to your name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? I thought this was the right thing to do, God. And God tells him and confronts him, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen what they, they have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. You know, praying about a situation that you know needs to be changed why? I remember I, I was talking to this one young lady and she was in a relationship that she knew was wrong and she admitted that it was wrong. And she said, well, you know, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to pray about what the Lord wants me to do. And I was just like, well, you know what the Lord wants you to do because you told me it was wrong. What do you need to pray about? that God would change his mind? I mean, what, what are you really wanting prayer about? And many times we'll do that. And Joshua is praying and God says, get up. Here's what's happened. Someone has sinned. They've taken what they weren't supposed to. They've lied. They've done what they weren't supposed to. They've broken the covenant with me. And that's what needs to be fixed. Don't pray anymore. Get up. Take care of this. And then he tells them how he's going to take care of it. Verse 12, it says, that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have, made, they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Boy, let that scripture sink in. That, that's a haunting scripture right there. You think about your lives and the enemy's involvement on your lives and the Lord saying that he will not be able or be with us anymore unless we destroy whatever among us is devoted to destruction. You see, God can help us and he can enlighten our way, but he will not walk that walk for us. He will show us the direction. He will tell us what's right. Just like he told the children of Israel, I set before you life and death, Choose life that you might live. That's your choice. But if you make the wrong choice, I will not be with you unless you destroy whatever is devoted to destruction. And those words are powerful, devoted to destruction, because that's what sin is. It's a devotion to destruction. And when we allow sin to, to remain in our lives and not be checked and pushed out, we are devoted to destruction to some form or another. And it, it's harming us. 
he says in verse 13, go, consecrate the people, tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, that which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Until you get rid of what is wrong, you're not going anywhere. Your enemies, you can't stand against them until you get rid of what is wrong. The enemy will use anything that he can to, to bring you down. Even people do that. They do it in sports. If they know the weakness of a team, they'll focus on the weakness. That player has a sore ankle. Okay, we'll double team him, wear him out so that he can't play his peak game. Kids do that with mom and dad. Oh, I know mom's upset at dad, so I'm going to stir up the pot so I can get my way. It's amazing how kids do stuff like that. I never did. that I remember. Of course, I was an only child for a lot of years. Until, um, but anyway, we do. The enemy knows the weakness and they attack that area. And the same is true with our lives. And for example, something's in your life. You, you've got a situation that you know isn't right with God and opportunity comes to be used by God. You know, maybe... You know, you, you've got this issue of drinking or whatever it is. You fill in the blanks of something that is holding you and, and has got you. And an opportunity goes to, to serve with the church and go maybe to Mexico and minister or to be in part of like the women's, you know, outreach. And all of a sudden this voice says, you can't go. What about that thing in your life? And all of a sudden, you're defeated. And, and before you even take that step to go into the situation, you're thinking how unworthy you are because there is something in your life that you know of that you haven't dealt with. And so it stops you from moving forward, even though God wants you to move forward. You see, God says, put it away because you're going to have a hard time standing against your enemies if you've got disobedience in your life. It will come up every time. It'll be in your mind. You'll be serving, thinking, you shouldn't be doing this. What about this? What about this? And it's not that you have to be worthy to serve. It's just you're giving place for the enemy to attack you and, and to haunt you with the things that you haven't given over to God, that you haven't surrendered, the things that are being victorious in your life. And, and you know what? Our, our conduct matters to us, and it affects us, and it affects what we can do, and we need to press on from those things. In verse 14, it says, In the morning, present yourself tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward, clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward, family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward, man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes 
and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now, can you imagine, and I think we all can, what Achan is feeling at this time? They're defeated. As maybe he even went out to the battle and saw 36 of his fellow soldiers die, fall around him, and thinking, this isn't right. We, we should be victorious. And that little, it's me. It, it's, maybe it's what you did. And then you go back to camp and you're kind of like, oh man, I wonder what's going to happen. And then finding out, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have the tribes by tribes come. And you're like, oh man. And then Judah, you come up, oh man. They start going through the tribe of Judah. And then they get, boom, and they start pulling down. It's like, you can see it just pointing to you. I mean, everything is just pointing right at you. And finally, you get called out. And you get busted. And again, your sin will find you out. It will come to surface. It will affect your life and the lives of those around you. Finally, it comes down to Achan. And then Joshua in verse 19 said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. This verse is very striking because it's not what I would have expected. As all this is happening and you see God talking about, the, you know, you, you've allowed the, the sacred things to come in and until you get rid of the sin and it comes down and finally the finger points at Achan. And it's like, you're the man, take him, string him up. You know, I've got too many cowboy movies in my head where, you know, you string him up and you hang him because you're the one who's guilty. But he starts off with my son. And I don't know why, but that, that term means a lot to me as a father. And I know what it means to, to talk to my son about things that have been damaging to their lives or, or to our family. And then he says, Give glory to the Lord. When you tell the truth, you give glory to the Lord. When you lie, it's the opposite. And so he calls them an endearing term, give glory to the Lord. It's to tell the truth, the God of Israel, and also give him praise. Acknowledge him. Give him his worth. How is he going to do that? By telling what he had done. The same is true with our lives. And the example of Achan is one that we are to take to heart 
to understand what God's heart is about. But don't miss the compassion that is taking place before the judgment. Recognize what God is wanting to take place. As he deals with Achan as a son, as he tells him to give glory to God and give him praise. To come clean and do what is right. Verse 20, Achan replied, It is true. Now you've got to imagine, what, I mean, I've been busted before and just had to say, you're right, I did it. But this is huge. The whole nation is focused on you. He says, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. Now, it's interesting because he calls it plunder or maybe the spoils, some translations say. But you see, that's not what it was. It was dedicated to the Lord. And, and the first thing that happens, I believe, in our own minds when we give in to sin is we make it less or something than it, other than what it really is. See, instead of the dedicated thing that belongs to the Lord, it's the spoils, it's the plunder. It's the things that are for our taking. It was never that. It was always something that belonged to the Lord, but in his mind, it became less than that. And that's what we do many times is we make less than what God has for us and we devalue it so that we can do what it is we want to do that is against what God has for us. But he says, he took these things and I covered them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Verse 22, it says, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all the Israelites, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan the he they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger, Therefore, the place has been called the Valley of Achor, or the Valley of Trouble, ever since. Romans six twenty-three tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Achan is an example of what sin does. Acts chapter 5 has a, a very similar story with Ananias and Sapphira lying about money that they gave to the church, wanting to appear one way when really being another, being hypocrites. And we see the first act that happens of 
disobedience as they move into the promised land is met with judgment, just as the first act of disobedience in the church in the book of Acts is met with judgment. And I believe God is trying to, to make a point of what sin does to us, that it kills, that it destroys us. Now, I don't know what happened to Achan's soul. He was judged and he paid for his crime. But God knows what happened to him. But the question really is, what happens to our souls? The more we give in to the lies of the enemy and how devastating is sin to us? It causes death. It causes destruction not only to us, but to those around us. It affects everything. So why do we toy with it? Why do we give in? Well, we kind of touched on a number of things. We're, we don't recognize that we're resisting the Spirit, we're grieving the Spirit, we're, we're quenching the Spirit of God, we're self-confident, we're not praying, we're not communing with God. And we're not regarding what he says as important. All those things come into play to, to cause the calamity of sin in our lives. But there is victory to be found. And, and I want to end this. I mean, chapter 8 really should continue right on. Well, it does, but we're not going to continue. Chapter 8 goes on to the victory and our lives need to go on to victory as well. Because there is victory with confession and repentance. We see what Achan did. He said, I saw, I coveted, or I desired, and then I took. And the same thing happens with us, with any area of disobedience. We, we see, we desire, and we take. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the word confess means to be in agreement. If we are in agreement with God of what is right and what is wrong, and we acknowledge those things in our own lives, then guess what? He is faithful and he is just to cleanse us from our sin and all unrighteousness. Okay, here's the good news because this has been a bummer kind of a chapter all the way. Sin, death, you know, destruction, devastation. Bye, guys. Have a good evening. God bless you. You know, it's like the good news is that there is a God who is at work. A God who hears, sees, and can deliver. And he wants to do it. He wanted to do it with Achan. He wants to do it with us. And all that is necessary for deliverance is agreement with God. Say what it is. Confess it. And guess what? Jesus has done the rest. Man, that is good news. Hallelujah.
because all of our lives were bent on destruction until the Spirit of God came into us and we didn't resist it and we acknowledged Him in our lives, our need for Him, and we surrendered and said, God, forgive me, come into my life. And then He made His home within us and He started showing us what was right and what was wrong, started changing us from the inside out. I remember when I became a Christian and I didn't know what this meant. I had never gone to church in any regular way. I'd gone a couple of times, I think, to a Catholic church when they put the black spot on your head, you know, and I didn't know that's a trip, you know, I didn't know what that was about when I was a kid. But I had no idea of what it was God was was trying to do and speaking to me. And I remember going to a Bible study, bowing my knee and saying, okay, Jesus, come into my life. I didn't know what would happen. Went to school, started hanging out with my friends, partying like I had always done before. We'd go out at lunchtime and get high. This was when I was in Santa Monica, and we'd go down to the beach and get high, and then sometimes we'd go back to class, sometimes we'd forget. And all of a sudden, I started feeling like, you know what? I don't like doing this anymore. This is kind of weird. Because it's been everything I've done for so many years. But the Spirit of God started changing me and opening my eyes saying, you need to stop this. And the way he started showing me was in my own spirit, changing me. So that I didn't want to do that. And you know, it's the amazing thing about following Jesus is he makes me want to do what the heart of God wants to do. Because I never even knew what that meant. And all of a sudden, it's what I want. That's a miracle. And it started taking place in my own life. And it's taking place in all of our lives as we say yes to Jesus. But we still can turn away. We still stumble and fall and do the wrong things, make the wrong choices. But the Spirit of God says, agree with me. Is that right or wrong? That's wrong. Do you want me to take care of that? Yes, please. It's done. You've agreed with me. Jesus is faithful and just and has taken it away. And he has cast my sins as far as east is from the west. He's buried it in the bottom of the sea. And he's put a sign saying, no fishing. Can't go get it. It's taken care of. Why would we want to toy with sin? Why do we? Why do we? Let's learn from Achan, lest our lives be a valley of sorrows, and let's move on to victory, trusting, relying on God, who is able to deliver us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you are so good, you are so faithful and so patient with us. God, I pray that you would continue to move upon our hearts, Lord, and press us to be holy even as you are holy. Lord, that you would continually be reminding us and bringing up things that we need to work on and address. We're so thankful that we 
have a father who chastens us when we're disobedient, who doesn't let us go on and live in our sin, but brings it to our attention and deals with us and with it. And Lord, I pray that whatever you are dealing with us in our hearts tonight, that we would acknowledge it, address it, and Lord, take that step of letting it go, of not taking the things that we shouldn't, but moving forward in a life that is obedient. And God, may we not neglect the important things in our lives. May we not be self-confident, but might we be confident in you? Might we be dependent on you? Might we not neglect praying, God? Might we be in constant communication and communion with you, God, allowing you to speak into our lives and, and God directing us? And Father, may we be obedient. May we hear the things that you say and trust you that there is nothing better. There is nothing that we are going to give up for following you in a life of obedience that is worth holding on to. And may we let go. And God, may you use us as we surrender these things to you, as we confess these things to you, the enemy can no longer stand against us, and so may we go and conquer, Father, the land that you have for us. May we be victorious. May we not stay in this valley of sorrows, God. But might we occupy the territory that you have for each of us. Strengthen us, we pray, in Jesus' name.